Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name's Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. So as Pastor Chris just mentioned, my name is Hannah King, and I have been the summer intern here at Asbury, which I have loved being, and I'm so grateful to be able to stand up here today and talk with you guys. So before I get into the message, I first would like to give you guys some background on me and my story with the church. So my parents were both raised Baptist, but when they got married, they became Methodist. And so I was born into the Methodist church, baptized as a baby, and when I was 10, My family made the biggest change they could ever make for a 10-year-old child, which is moving me to a different part of the country. (laughs) It rocked my world. Um, So I grew up in Dover, Delaware, way up in the northeast, and we moved to Starkville, Mississippi, way down in the south. Um, Yes. So it was a huge culture shift for me, especially when it came to church. Uh, I'm now in the Bible Belt, and so the Bible and just the foundation of the church is taught very differently than what I had up north. And I all of a sudden felt so lost in my faith in a way I never felt before, because all of a sudden I felt behind almost, because I knew the stories of Adam and Eve and Noah, Moses, but I couldn't tell you where they were in the Bible except that Adam and Eve was in the beginning. I knew that. But that's pretty much it. Um, And so I just kind of felt almost like an imposter as a Christian because I didn't have the same foundation. And I kind of shrunk back in Sunday school class a lot just because I didn't know what I was talking about. So I just let everyone else handle it. Um, And something that just really bothered little 10-year-old Hannah was that I didn't have a favorite Bible verse, which seems really silly. I get that now. But at the time, it really bugged me because I grew up with my, both sides of my family are Christians and Bible verses are brought up a lot. And all my family has their own like special verse that they quote and say in times of struggle and in excitement. And I didn't have that. And then all of a sudden I'm in a church space where now all my peers also have Bible verses that they can quote and say. And again, I can't tell you where anything is in the Bible. So let alone a verse, could never. So this just really stuck out and bothered me through the years. But then in April 2011, a movie came out called Soul Surfer. This movie told the story of surfer Bethany Hamilton, who lost her arm in a shark attack in 2003. She didn't let that stop her, though, and she is now an internationally known surfer and motivational speaker who attributes her success to her faith. It was while watching this movie that a Bible verse was spoken that really stuck with me, and I have that clip for you guys. Today. Finish up Brad Knight with the Can anyone tell me what he or she thinks this is? Easy. It's a dodgeball. No. Or Mars? Mm-mm. Uh, blob and a lava lamp? <laughs> Very creative, but no. It's a fly's eye. Weird. How about this one? A brain. Aren't brains supposed to be pink? A dead, rotting brain? That is gross, and that is a walnut. So you see how hard it can be to make sense of things when you're looking at them really close? The same thing's true in life. So if you guys are dealing with anything that's just too hard to handle or 
doesn't seem to make much sense, get a new perspective. I want to share with you guys something that has really made an impact in my life. It's Jeremiah 29 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So a little bit later in the film, there's another scene, this is a little screenshot from it, uh, where Bethany goes to her youth leader for the first time after the accident. And it's also the first time that she lets herself just kind of have a breakdown over this traumatic event that happened to her. And she talks about what we just heard in the scene about kind of trying to step away and get perspective and clarity, but she just can't. And she doesn't understand how this could be God's plan for her. And it's a really moving scene that just really stuck with me after I left the theater. This whole movie did, and I didn't really understand why. I mean, I love movies, as you heard, I'm a film major, but this one just really struck a chord. I became a huge fan of Hamilton and even did her devotional that has a whole little part on Jeremiah 29 11. This became my verse and I was excited. I finally had a verse that I knew that I could quote. Didn't know where Jeremiah was in the Bible, but I knew where this verse was. So I was so happy. Then in 2015, I started suffering through my own health trials that continued to this very day. This is when that scene from Soul Surfer started replaying in my head, and the verse that always stuck with me finally started to make some sense. I felt like Bethany Hamilton did in that moment with her youth leader, lost and afraid and confused about God's plan for me. Jeremiah 29:11 gave me comfort and hope through all the hospital visits and surgeries that I've had over the last six years. In my senior year of high school, I found this ring at a Christian bookstore with the, this verse on it, and I was beyond excited. I still have this ring here, but obviously you can't really see it, so that's why I have this picture. Um, I wore it every day for a couple of years because to me, it was just like this actual visible token I could have that as you see, I like rings. So I was like, this is kind of a way to have something important in my faith close to me besides just like being internally. I like external things. So I wore it every day until uh, not long ago, a few years, I happened upon a Instagram post because I'm a teenager at the time, obviously I'm on Instagram. And it talked about how we as a society have been taking Bible verses out of their original context and molding them for our own purposes while ignoring what they mean in scripture. Jeremiah 29 11 was one of the examples mentioned in this post. In my mind was blown. At this point, I had started trying to read the Bible more on my own and kind of understand it more, but I never really thought about verses actual meaning being different than what I was always told they were when we just kind of say them by themselves. I just assumed that it was the same as what people told me it was. <laughs> That's why you, shouldn't, you should always do your own digging, you guys. Don't just listen to what people tell you. But that is not always the case, which is what I want to talk about today, which is what is the context and meaning of Jeremiah 20 and 11? And what can we learn from it? So let's look at that again. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. So as Pastor Chris also mentioned, I have a minor in history. I'm a huge history nerd, have been my whole life. So we're going to go a little bit into like the context and history of Jeremiah. But don't worry, it's a short lesson, I promise. <laughs> for those of you guys who don't like history. So the book of Jeremiah is named after the prophet who wrote it. Jeremiah was a priest from the town of Anathoth near Jerusalem. He never married or had children at the Lord's command. His ministry began in 626 BC and ended after 586 BC. Something that I think is really fascinating when it comes to 
just people in the Bible in general, who I feel like our knowledge can be kind of limited on, Jeremiah's life is actually the, so sorry, I'm not wording this right. <laughs> we know more about Jeremiah's life than any of the other 15 writing prophets, which I think is pretty crazy, and I think it shows directly in the book of Jeremiah, where throughout it, I feel like his words are so personal, and we can feel his emotions, which is also why I feel like Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, because as you'll see as we go into it, Jeremiah, he, he just he tries his best. He just, he's just trying to do what God's telling him to do, and no one will listen to him. And you can feel that pain and frustration in his words. The book of Jeremiah is actually the longest sole author prophetic book in the Bible at 1,364 verses and 52 chapters. That's a lot, right? A few weeks ago, when I started looking uh, into um, Jeremiah for this message, I was like, okay, I'm going to go through Jeremiah. It's been a few years since I've read it. And I thought it was like 30-something chapters. I thought it ended not long after Jeremiah 29. And so I'm just like going through it, and it just kept going and going. And I was just like, okay, I really do not know this book at all. Um, don't worry, though. We're not going through all 52 chapters today. Just in case you were worried, don't worry. I won't keep you here all day. So Jeremiah takes place at the end of the 7th century and the beginning of the 6th century BC. Around this time, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon attacked the city of Jerusalem and took 10,000 of the most able-bodied Jews. In this period of exile, a number of false prophets began reassuring the Jews in exile that Babylon's days were numbered and that God would never let Jerusalem fall. Jeremiah kept warning the people, though, that this is not what God had planned. But the Jews kept believing these false prophets, while the rest of the population, still in Jerusalem, believed they were safe from a similar fate and held the notion that as long as their temple was still standing, they would be okay. In Jeremiah 28, we learn about one of these false prophets who was named Hananiah. Jeremiah had just told the people at, in the temple a message from God about the yoke of Babylon to come and that the best course of action was to submit to this. And he did this while wearing a wooden yoke around his neck, which, if you were here uh, two weeks ago for Pastor Will's uh, first message, he actually showed us what a yoke is, which I did not know. So now this story made so much more sense because I just know a yoke like an egg yoke, and I'm like, that's definitely not what God's talking about. So, but, so thank you, Pastor Will, for this knowledge. It helped me this week. Um, so when Jeremiah was finished, Hananiah stood up and publicly shut down everything that Jeremiah had just said he proclaimed that the yoke of Babylon would soon be over. And then Jeremiah responded back to him, saying that when the prophet's words come true, then it shall be shown that the Lord sent him, which I think is a pretty wise, reasonable, you know, response. Well, Hananiah's response to this was to rip the wooden yoke from Jeremiah's neck, which is what is depicted here. Um, and I think this next course of action from Jeremiah just shows what an admirable man he was, because after this piece of physical violence basically was put on him, he decided to leave the temple without saying or doing anything else because he needed further word from God. And I just think that's incredible because how many of us can say that we would do that without doing anything in return for someone just like ripping something off of us? And I think that's something really interesting about this story and this interaction because I feel like something I always struggled with with the Bible is that it can feel so separated from us today, which is why I think we try to connect to these Bible verses, to try to connect ourselves to this word. When here, I think we can say that there are still many interactions that happen that are similar to this. 
And I'm sure maybe we've been in some of them where we're either the Jeremiah or the Hananiah in these interactions when we disagree with someone. Hopefully you don't resort to like physical violence, but you can still get angry or not agree with what someone's saying. And I think it just grounds these people that we can relate to them in a very easy way to understand when all this craziness is happening around them because they lived in a very different time. Well, Jeremiah soon did receive word from God. And God told him that while Hananiah might have ripped the wooden yoke from Jeremiah's neck, he was going to replace it with one of iron. He then addresses Hananiah by saying this in Jeremiah 26, 18. I am about to remove you from the face of the earth. This very year you are going to die because you have preached rebellion against the Lord. Could you imagine if God said that to you? I think I would just drop right there, just terrified, just... <laughs> It's over, okay, I get it, God, like, I'm good. <laughs> but then again, Hananiah uh, didn't really listen to what Jeremiah said at all. We don't even know if he ever heard this message from God, so he probably just continued life as normal. But sure enough, only two months after the confrontation with Jeremiah in the temple, Hananiah died. I think something that is really interesting that I realized as I dug deeper into this chapter is we never learn what Hananiah's true motivations were. We never learn about any of the false prophets' motivations. Some of them probably did think that they were really hearing the word of God and trying to share that just like Jeremiah was. Or some maybe were greedy and took an opportunity. As fascinating as it could be to debate maybe which side they were on, in the end it doesn't matter, which is why it's not included in the story. I think it's very important, though, that we learn about Hananiah because it makes this notion and idea of false prophets more real and easier to understand. They become real people and not just a mention in the story of Jeremiah as something he has to deal with while he's trying to share the word of God. Earlier this week, Pastor Chris uh, shared a very entertaining story with me that I wanted to share with you guys. There was this zoo in China a few years ago that for a variety of reasons replaced some of its animals with dogs, including trying to pass a dog off as an African lion. <laughs> as you see, the resemblance, uncanny. But the people who attended the zoo um, were not impressed. And when they saw this, they were furious. Well, we can kind of look at this now, and it's kind of funny. But it's, you know, like, come on, that's a lion? No. But the people who actually experienced this were angry and mad at the zoo officials who tried to cheat them out of their zoo ticket. While zoo officials thought that they were doing the right thing by replacing and putting any animal in the enclosure instead of keeping them empty, the people didn't see it that way. This is similar to what we see in Jeremiah with the false prophets trying to pass the word of God to the people of Jerusalem when we know that that's not the case. Of course, in this situation, the roles are a little reversed where the people in Jerusalem are eating up what the false prophets are saying because it's better than the truth. Also, he's just really cute. Look at him. Oh my gosh, okay. <laughs> well, a couple of decades later, Babylon returned to Jerusalem and this time they left nothing in their wake. The temple the Jews were so sure would never fall was torn down brick by brick, and the remaining able-bodied population was taken back to Babylon. The people of Israel had officially lost their old covenant with God that they had made centuries ago. The false prophets were wrong, and their temple, which was so important to them, had fallen. This is where Jeremiah 29 comes into play. Jeremiah had tried over and over to warn the people of Jerusalem of God's judgment, but to no avail. So Jeremiah sent a letter from Jerusalem to the remaining exiled elders. In the letter, he mentions how God has said to build roots in Babylon, which we see in Jeremiah 29, verses 5 through 7, that say this, Build houses and settle down. 
Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. The people had rebelled against God for hundreds of years, so they were to be exiled. In his plan, they would remain in this place for 70 years. But that didn't mean God wanted them to die off. Instead, he wanted them to thrive and to continue to grow and build themselves in this place. The letter also mentions how these false prophets are deceiving them and that he has not sent any of them, so they should listen to his word. These prophets keep saying how this would be a short time and soon they would be back in Jerusalem. But as we just read, that is not the case that God is trying to say. Then in Jeremiah 29.10, he says this. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. This leads us into the infamous verse we're talking about today. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God wants the people of Israel to know that only he knows the thoughts and plans he has for them. Not these prophets giving false information. Even though this period of exile will be long, his plan is to bring them hope and a future, even if this placement doesn't seem that way to them. Though they are receiving a judgment from God for breaking their covenant, God still has bright plans for them and doesn't wish them pain or suffering, though they may experience it in this time. But something I think is very important when bringing verses back into the context is looking at the verses that surround them because they deepen the meaning of the verse. And I think that's the case when it comes to the verses immediately following verse 11. They say this in Jeremiah 29, verses 12 through 14. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. As mentioned, the Jews lost their temple, which was how they worshiped God, and it was a pillar in their faith. Over time, though, it also became a place where false idols were worshiped. This was a reminder that they now don't need a temple to talk to God. They just need to pray, and he will listen. This is their new covenant, and God set up for the gospels to come. He then mentions how he will restore them from Babylon. This further cements the hope and promises that he gave them in verse 11. So now we can see that this verse that has been molded and used as a personal message of hope to Christians who need it, it's not at all the purpose that God had for these words. These were the words for a nation that had lost its way with God and needed to be brought back. This doesn't mean that you shouldn't go to scripture to help you get through good and bad situations. It's just a reminder that we need to look at these words that are for us, but first we need to remember that they were for others and they directly relate to the situations and living conditions of that time. Jeremiah 29 11 is a great reminder that like the Jews in exile, we may experience long periods of hardships. But that doesn't mean God has given up on us. It's a part of his plan that only he knows. And in the end, hopefully not 70 years though, he will restore us. I believe this is why that verse always stuck with me even before I understood why. I kind of look back now and I see that God was creative and smart in how he knew how to communicate with me. Again, I love movies. They're my life. 
So God was like, I'm going to plant this message in a movie because I know that's going to stick with you because clearly you struggle with the Bible. And it's true. If it came to me like in a lesson in Sunday school or something, I don't think it would have stuck with me like this movie did. I've experienced some major hardships with my health that felt like they came out of nowhere and they're just going to keep going. I realized I don't expect God to fix these problems overnight. Clearly, that is not his plan as much as I don't like that. But all these trials have made me who I am today, and I'm very grateful for that. If I hadn't experienced all these issues I've experienced the last six years, I don't think I'd be standing up here right now, interning at this church, or maybe even be at UCF, which I love all three very much, so I'm very glad that it all worked out that way. I know deep down that even in the darkest of times, and even if it takes a while, God will see me through this and restore me one day. Like he'll see you guys through any of your hardships or trials and see you through it one day. And like he reassured the Jews in exile that after 70 years, he would restore them. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. God, thank you so much for giving me the courage today to come up here and speak. I hope that your words coming through me helped somebody or just inspired somebody today in some way. I pray that you continue to bless this church in all of its endeavors, including VBS coming up soon, because that's going to be a wild time. And I pray that you continue to bless everyone as we start a brand new week.